think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, 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 and welcome. This is Talk the Plank, a Pittsburgh Pirates podcast on the Fan First Sports Network. I'm not exactly sure which episode we're on because we've just been dropping so many pods between me and you, Jake, between the Bucket Joe in the morning, between Haley's Minor League Show. So, a hundred and something. Jake, how is it going with you? It's going good, dude. Uh, pretty good Easter weekend. Uh, pretty good weekend for the Bucks. Things have been pretty active, but uh, six and three in our first nine games. I'll gladly take that. But as we set off the air, it is just sad. The sadness and mournfulness now, unfortunately. How how have things been on your end? Hopefully, they have been a little bit more positive. Yeah, things have been good. And before we get to the Crushing, crushing O'Neill Cruz news. Um, this was a good weekend for the Pirates in terms of play. I happened to be at opening day Friday, and the electricity in the stadium was apparent. It was a really great game. Three totally different games for the Pirates and White Sox this series. In the first one, obviously, the Pirates were able to hit their way to victory. The pitching was pretty bad. We'll get into that. Game two, Pirates hit a little bit, but the pitching was also very bad, and the Pirates were blown out 11-5. to And in today's game, Sunday, the day in which we are recording, great pitching performance, not a lot of offense, but the Pirates were able to squeak out a one nothing win. But, yeah, we have to lead with the just crushing, crushing, Crushing news. I don't know if you saw it live, Jake, but you could tell immediately things weren't good. O'Neill Cruz coming into home plate 
on a soft tapper by Cabrian Hayes kind of got caught in between whether he wanted to slide or run over the catcher basically. And his legs got caught underneath of him. His ankle got caught underneath of his body and O'Neill Cruz has a fractured ankle. Uh, there's no timetable as to when a possible return could happen. For all we know, he could be out for the season. I don't know. I'm, I don't really, I don't want to speculate too much, but overall, after just such a, such a nice start to this pirate season, such an encouraging start. Kutch got his first home run in the Saturday game. Uh, they've been hitting. The pitching has been shaky, but there's still been some bright spots. Overall, six and three. If you would have told me two weeks ago that the Pirates were going to start six and three, I would have been ecstatic. But all of that just is, it's kind of in the back seat for me because O'Neill Cruz is the future of this franchise and he's going to be out for at least a while. So that's that's my spiel, Jake. I don't know. Give us your thoughts. I did watch it live. Well, live via television. I We were talking off the air before we started recording, and uh, the first thing I mentioned to you was, if, I'll take it. I mean, it's you never want to see your star player, star of the future go down. But in the moment when I watched this live, the first thing that went through my head is, oh, God, it's a torn ACL. Uh, just because of the way he was reacting, it seemed like he was putting he was being ginger around his knee. Everybody thought it was a knee at the time, and then the, the news came out that it was a fractured left ankle. Estimated timetable of uh, six to eight weeks, I think. But given Todd Thompson and his magic powers that be, I think it's going to be more like ten to fourteen, uh, which is still not as bad. But um, I mean, if, if you're going to look, look at the positives and any silver lining, I think that's it. It sucks because I think Cruz was really good at, first of all, stealing bases. Um, he was up to three after today. Uh, home runs have been taking a little bit of a hit, but he's been helping in other areas. I think defense has gotten a little bit better for him, and he's been working counts really well. I've noticed his plate discipline, I think, since opening day has gotten 10 times better than last year. Uh, whether he struck out or not, it's still quality at bat. So that's a big blow to the Pirates because he was starting to watch pitches and get uh, opposing pitchers deeper in counts. And that's not to say that nobody else can do that, but still O'Neill Cruz is a freakish athlete. And that's just, it sucks to see talking about Zavala, the catcher for Chicago. Uh, there was a, there was a bit of discrepancy on on Twitter about whether or not he was to blame for it. I'm going to say this. And I think there's a crowd that approves of this. And there's going to be that crowd that will get really upset because I'm not hundred percent on Cruz's side. It, this was caused by both parties. O'Neill Cruz had multiple lanes to go through. He, first of all, should have slid a little bit earlier, slid a little bit more, I guess, better, if you will. Why he didn't slide behind the plate to try and make the tag a little bit more difficult is that's up for debate. But I I mean, the fact that he started to slide while he was on the plate, almost like a little league slide, if you will, that's questionable to me. Zavala, I don't think was at fault for the incident. You know, I, I think, his his role in this in the, in all the uproar on social media, I think it all stems from what happened afterward. He got yeah. into he started mouthing off the cruise, spun his helmet. In the mean in the time, I will give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because when when your emotions are high, you just spout whatever is on your mind. You may not even know that Cruz was either hurt that bad or what just happened. I don't like. I'm, I'm guess I'm playing devil's advocate here because. 
You got to. He had a chance to redeem himself the post game. And the fact that he kind of just did not seem concerned at all about Cruz kind of just said, oh, they'll forget about it in a couple of days. I, I can't I, – I, I got to put some blame there because, no, that's just not it, dude. Like, first of all, your attitude after the play, you had every opportunity to apologize for it, and you just did not take it. And then to say that at, in your post-game interview after you've had some time to reflect, I think that's just awful. And then, you know, I'm, I'm reading some of these replies on Twitter from some White Sox fans talking about, you know, it's Cruz's fault, like – now, if, let's step back here and look at both parties because they did have varying roles in it. You never like to see it. To me, I'm going to chalk it up as wrong place, wrong time. I think Zavala had plenty of time to correct himself after the game. He just didn't take it up on it, which sucks, but nothing you can do when he doesn't want to take accountability for his part afterward. I, I, all we can hope for is that Cruz has a speedy recovery. One positive yeah. thing for this, though, um, if there is any positives, aside from it just being a fractured ankle, how about Carlos Santana really stepping up for, you know, for su- support of O'Neill Cruz when he saw that Zavala was in his face, pretty much spouting off after the incident. Clearly he, Cruz was on the ground and Santana got in his face and started something. And he, he didn't let it get too far. He didn't escalate it to like the Carlos Gomez, Garrett Cole incident that happened so many years ago. Ironically, I think Easter Sunday, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Then, yeah. I, I give Carlos a lot of credit for stepping in, stepping up for his teammate because he didn't have to do that. And he did that. And it, it was just amazing to me to see that. And then to, 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 to restrain himself to the point where he didn't cause a physical altercation, he got his point across. Yeah, benches and bullpens empty, but uh, that always happens. Up. Yeah, and that's just that's just uh, like a consequence of the of the situation. But I, I was really amazed by Carlos Santana just stepping up for O'Neill Cruz because, again, he didn't have to do that, but he took that extra step too. So if there's any silver lining to this, that would be it. But in my opinion, both parties were at fault. Zavala's role just afterward, more or less. But yeah, Cruz, he could have done a little bit better on that slide to prevent that. Yeah, as far as the play, Zavala, he just kind of seems like a dick. He didn't do anything wrong in the play. I mean, maybe he guarded the plate a little bit. But yeah, he, he talks smack after the play, which in the heat of the moment, whatever, I don't I'm not going to get on him too much. And yeah, the post-conference, he said what he, he said, but he, he doesn't seem too worried about it. I'm not, I'm not like overly mad at, at what he did, but it's just, like you said, it's an unfortunate situation and Cruz, I wish he would have done anything other than what he did. I wish he would have ran Zavala over before, you know, kind of, being indecisive on his movements or Cruz, I would have rather him just give himself up and take the out or like you said, slide and commit to the slide. But that's just a, that's just a tough play. Um, just tough. Like you said, wrong place, wrong time. It just, it all happened so fast and I'm not going to get on Zavala too much. He just, you know, some, some players in the moment, they just, they don't care. And I respect Santana, like you said, because he didn't escalate the situation. He just made it be known, hey, I'm here, and I'm not going to let you talk to my guy laying on the ground in pain. It just sucks. That That's that's the end of it. I mean, it just sucks, Cruz, like you said. Hopefully, hopefully it was more of like a clean fracture and – 
there's no like further damage and you, you know, hopefully he can get that healed up and perhaps in July or so he's able to get back. But once again, timetable, I'm not sure, but yeah, it just, just a really, really terrible situation and just such a wet blanket. Like I said, on the start of this season for the pirates, but that's baseball. I mean, injuries happen, stuff happens, especially for pirates fans, sadness. We're used to this. We're built for this. We really are. So Tomorrow's going to come. The Pirates are going to put Cruz on the IL. And we got to talk replacements. We got to talk moving forward. So tomorrow the Pirates are going to have to call someone up. And we kind of talked about this preseason, how it's kind of alarming how little shortstops the Pirates have after Cruz. We're really going to find out who fills that role. Um, Personally, I think... I think Bay is going to get some. Honestly, I think it might be a little shortstop by committee. I think Bay is going to get some time. I think Castro is going to get some time. And if I had to guess someone to get called up for uh, Cruz's replacement on the roster, I'm thinking Tucapita Marcano, and he'll get some time at shortstop as well. He's been tearing it up in AAA to start the season. So moving forward, Jake, what are you thinking? Well, I agree that Marcano has been tearing it up and I think that he's got a big shot to, um, to make it up in terms of call an emergency call up, if you will. Um, but I'm also keeping my eye on Mark Mathias just because he's already on the 40 man. They brought him in. I think they want to get him a little bit more looks. Cause I mean, we know what Tukapita can do. Um, I'm not entirely sure what Tukapita's um, background is at shortstop, but he does not strike me as the type of player that will be that sort of feeling guy. Like, I don't know. Like you, I agree with what you said that it's going to be a, a shortstop by committee kind of thing. But I didn't think any of us really thought of who would be the backup in case Cruz went down and now it's starting to bite us. But I mean, if we're looking at some players here, Matthias, he's has some he has some major league experience, not much, but some. He's off to a pretty good start in AAA. He's batting for thirty, so he's batting. Uh, well, he's he's slashing three thirty three, four fifty nine. 926 got a couple RBIs as well a little older he'll be called up too uh but I I would I wouldn't mind if Marcano got called up just because of how he's been hitting in AAA um those are like the two names that really stick out to me there's a lot of fans clamoring for Nick Gonzalez let's just kibosh that now we all know that's not going to happen yeah I I do think that in terms of rotation I feel like I feel like we might see a little bit more Bay at short and Castro at second uh, I think Castro did well at short today, but it was just an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Rodolfo is going to get some time at short, but I think it's going to be more or less for Bay. Unless they uh, see this is tough because with the way Jack Sawinski has been playing, I would love to just see more G1 Bay in center field, Reynolds and left, and Joe and McCutcheon and right. Like, I, I just I wouldn't be upset if they move Bay toward the outfield and let Sawinski go. Uh, back to AAA, and then you have like like you said, Marcano, maybe Matthias, then Castro manning that middle infield a little, little bit. I, I don't know, but I agree with what you said. I think Marcano's a good shot. I think Bay is going to have the strongest case for playing more at short, but I, I just something tells me that Mark Matthias, I think, is going to get the call before Tukapita, and I hope that I hope I'm proven wrong, but um, you never know what, what they're going to do. Let me ask you this. Can I interest you in a little emergency Cabrian Hayes at shortstop? You could. 
I don't think it's going to happen, but no, I mean, they've done it before. I think what 2021, they had keep play short a little bit. He's at least played some innings there in the past. So it's not totally out of the question. I think his glove is, I think it's too valuable to take away from third base. You need a special kind of player to go there, but in a pinch, I could see that happening. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's going to get a consistent look at short. He's just too good at third base. I think, um, especially that play today, there was a play in which uh, Colas on the White Sox laid down a perfect bunt, and Hayes was kind of shifted off the line a little bit, charged in, barehanded it, made the throw in the nick of time, and Hayes at third base is just, he's the best in the league. We both know that. But I guess, like, maybe one other option would be Chris Owings, Maybe he could be put on the 40-man roster. He at least has experience at shortstop, but it just uh, – it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, I don't I, – I was thinking about that too because I saw some chatter on Twitter too about Chris Owings possibly coming up to play short. I don't see it. The only thing he has over those other guys that we mentioned is that he's a consistent shortstop, but I don't know. I feel like they'd look at a guy like Matthias or Took um, just to – in more of a, I guess they would hold them to a better light than a guy like Chris Owings, who I think he's just sort of a minor league depth piece. I don't think he's meant to crack the major league roster at any point, unless things really go wrong, which you never know if this is starting to happen, it could happen toward the end of the year. Yeah. And the injury bug has it's been, it's been biting the pirates a little bit to start the season. Obviously JT Brubaker losing him for an extended period of time, really hampers the starting rotation. And we saw yesterday that Vince Velasquez had kind of a bum ankle and it was, it was playing a factor in his pitching as he said, we'll see, but he couldn't really uh, drive with his left ankle to pitch effectively, according to him, but him Brubaker. Now we have Cruz. It's tough, but like we said, this is uh this is how baseball works, and it's a it's really a game of attrition. I guess I guess we can move on to the positives here because the Pirates are six and three. This is their best start ever in the Ben Sherrington, Derek Shelton era. And how about this offense, huh? Brian Reynolds. Give me your Brian Reynolds. What's what is up with him? He looks like an MVP candidate to start the year and He's he hasn't really slowed slowed down at all. You would think a little bit after the Red Sox series. Personally, I was just like, all right, he was he was crazy in that series. Now it's time to come back down to earth a little bit. But in the home opener, six RBIs, a three run blast, a three run triple that he scored on via the error. He's hitting four oh five, four fifteen, and he's slugging close to a thousand still. Five home runs. What has gotten into Brian Reynolds? You think maybe that he is trying to boost his trade stock at all? Oh, no, he's trying to boost his extension. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, I thought it was going to be one of those things where, and then I fell into this trap, and I hate the fact that I have to get myself out of it, but I thought that he was already signed, and they were just going to announce it on opening day at PNC Park. And Oh, man. I know where you're happen. going with this. Well, especially considering, like, he's playing like he, he's like he's happy with the team, and he's signed an extension. And you would have thought that maybe that was the case, but then when it didn't happen, it's just, you start to think you're like, 
maybe he is trying to boost his trade stocks. And that way, you know, he's helping the pirates in a way, trying to get them a better package. And I'm not, I hate saying this because this is going to make me sound like a dick, but I'm not vouching for Reynolds to be traded, but I seriously think like, that's pretty much the only resource I see now, unless he is just trying to prove his worth to Charrington and them like, Hey, I should be the main anchor in this negotiation session here. You guys should have no say like we've met on a dollar amount. Just give me my opt out clause and you'll, you know, I'll keep producing like this. I hope that's the way he's going, but man, I, well, like it's, it's, it's amazing to see him consider all things considered with what he went through the off season. Just he's been enduring this rebuild for like so long now. And now he's just breaking out. Like, what was it? His 20, was it 2021 where he was kind of putting up these numbers or yeah, 20- 2021, he was damn near elite. And I, I love seeing that we're kind of going back to that form right now. Cause I was like you, like after the Fenway series, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's start to rear back because you know, that could have just been some crazy fluke. Boston pitching was absolutely atrocious, but I mean, like when he came out in this home series and he continued to just produce and he kept the pirates in games you know, that six RBI game, he came a double away from the cycle and the home opener, which is great. It's, it's amazing to see, especially for, as a fan, because now you're, you, you get to see a great player. And that I think is just what we've been waiting for for years is just, okay, who's going to be that main anchor of this lineup. And Reynolds, I think is starting to take up that, you know, take up that role. He's being that, that guy, that X factor for the team. You know, he's trying, he's trying to do that to himself, but pinpointing why he's going off like this. It, it's <laughs> hard to good. say. It, let's just say he is. I mean, that's <laughs> to say. So let me, let me get this straight then. So your theory is that a, an extension didn't get done by opening day. So therefore there's a little more pep in his step to play well enough to eventually get traded. Not so much solely get traded, but maybe just to prove his worth again to the higher ups that he's worth yeah. that worth what he's worth what he wants, and that's just my point. He's just playing to prove something, that's and fair. I don't know. Like I, I don't want to vouch that he that he should be traded or that he wants to be traded because maybe that's not the case at all. I mean, he said mm-hmm. in his post game speech on on Friday that he loves the fans and he loves the city, and yeah, you know, anytime you're on a hot mic, you you want to just put on your best you know impression for everybody around you, but. I truly believe that Reynolds loves the city of Pittsburgh and that he loves the fans. He may not like the higher ups and the pirates, but he does love playing here. And I think he does want to stay here. So I, I don't yeah. think he's playing to get traded. I think he's playing for whatever comes first. That Yeah. No, I feel like that's, that's the correct uh, assumption. I agree. I think like, like we said, the extension didn't get done. So it's all right. I this is more time for me to prove my worth. And at this point, I don't know if the dollars have changed. If I'm Reynolds, I'm like, I mean, look at the start of this season. Maybe we should revisit those numbers as well as the opt out. But who knows? I know owner Bob Nutting kind of gave some more lip service of wanting to get a deal done, blah, 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 blah. And until it gets done, it's it's just nothing but words. So we'll see. But I guess on the field, I mean, three more years of Brian Reynolds. He's been awesome this season to start. And he's looking like Brian Giles out there, for real. He's looking like a guy that he's just locked in 
Obviously, the power is there. He's a 25 home run a year type guy. This could be a breakout season where he unlocks another 10 home runs, and he's a 35 home run guy while hitting around 300, while getting on base. He hasn't walked that much because I'm surprised. Perhaps pitchers will start getting the memo and pitching him a little bit tougher, but Reynolds only has two walks on the season, but that has never been an issue in the past. He gets on base. He has a good eye, but he's just hitting the ball all over the yard, and it's been awesome. He's been the main driver of this offense. Him and, I have to say, Andrew McCutcheon, um, have you looked at Andrew McCutcheon's stat line recently? I have, and I'll pull it up right now, but I know it's pretty freaking good for a guy his age yeah. and who suffered a lot of regression over the past couple of years. I mean, he's just he, – it's almost like he didn't leave Pittsburgh. He just picked up right where he left off. He's looking like Pittsburgh Kutch. He really is. Um, 375, an absurd 515 on base. He's getting on – like, that's the thing. The first week of the season, he wasn't really hitting. He was just drawing walks. But this series against the White Sox, he started smacking the ball around the yard as well, got his first home run at PNC Park Saturday night. And now all of a sudden, his OPS is above 1,000. Obviously, yeah, 31 plate appearances, 20, 21, or 24 at-bats. That's absolutely nothing. But there was kind of a fear, I would say, before the season started that we were going to get maybe not great Andrew McCutcheon, a shell of himself, Andrew McCutcheon. And not only is that not the case so far, he's just, he's been, he's been the second best player on this team. He really has. And it's, it's been just an absolute joy to watch. It has. And I mean, you had the benefit of that on Friday because you were in the stands for that blackout, weren't, uh, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. First pitch he saw, slapped it in the right for a base hit. Before we talk about his stats, take me through a little bit, because I wasn't there. I was, I unfortunately could only chime in on McCutcheon's, I guess, first at-bat or his first introduction over MLB Network Radio, because I was driving a lot that day. But you were in that sea of black. Take us through the emotion, not just, you know, just everything going on, sold out PNC Park and Andrew McCutcheon's first at-bat back. Seeing everybody wearing black was it was like a deja vu back to the 2013 wildcard game, obviously. But Pittsburgh did such a good job with getting the Pirates did a good job of, you know, having AJ Burnett and Russell Martin there. Andrew McCutcheon's mom sang the national anthem. That was awesome. And it just led to led to an emotional cheer for Andrew McCutcheon in his first at bat. And it was, it was crazy. It was bonkers. It was the loudest PNC park has been for me at a game since that 2013 wildcard game. And definitely the loudest it's been since the Ben Sherrington, Derek Shelton era started. People were going crazy. It was awesome. It was a, it was a great atmosphere and you know, they were chanting MVP for McCutcheon before his first at bat while he was, he got his, he got to have his ovation. The Cutch rule is what they're calling it for ovations to uh, not interfere with the pitch clock. It was just awesome. It was, it was emotional. I mean, that game, I lost my voice. I was screaming the whole game. It was just great. Had a few beverages, and it was just—it was a party. It was an all-out party in Pittsburgh. The vibes were great. 
Rich Hill didn't pitch well at all. The Pirates gave up a bunch of runs. They were losing in the game, but they just hit the hell out of the ball. 13 runs, 19 hits. The game still ended in under three hours, which is also awesome. But uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. It really was. And thank you for asking that question because going back to that memory in this exact moment almost made me forget that O'Neill Cruz broke his ankle today. Ah. Ah. And that all, and that all is lost, but no, it really was. It was great. It was a great atmosphere. It was awesome to be there. Yeah. And I, I got that from your videos. I got that from Austin Bechtold's videos. It seems like everybody that lived in the Pittsburgh area, who's a big name, like they were there. And it, I think that's kind of what has fueled McCutcheon up to this point was the support from the Pittsburgh fans. Because I mean, he, I, I can't count on my, on both of my hands, how many times he's gone on to say that he loves the city. He loves the fans. You know, they, they, the fans have their own little part in these games and, yeah, just I think that fueled him because first of all, first at bat back, he's you would think that he's looking to crush the ball and take it over the over the batter's eye in center. No, he just went the opposite way inside out of the pitch and just got on base. He kept it simple. And that's one thing I think Kutch has carried with him over the past few years is that he's a very strategic type of player. He doesn't try to do too much, he just tries to do just enough. And that's I think that's what's carried him out, you know, throughout these not only just this past couple of years, but his whole whole entire career. And now I think he's starting to fit that role with the pirates too, not just being a veteran leader, but he's still able to produce and game plan pretty well. So I think, I think you, when you add the home support from the Pittsburgh faithful that has never been lost all these years, you put on the fact that, you know, he's a veteran leader for this young pirates team. It's just like a recipe for success. And I think we're, we're starting to see that we we've been seeing that. And I think this weekend kind of proved that too. But again, Derek Shelton did a Derek Shelton thing. As soon as, you know, his players produce, he sits them. <laughs> like, he did that not just with Kutch, but he did that with Connor Joe. And yeah, Joe hasn't played since. Like, it just angers me. It's like you have the fans in the palm of your hand and you're just completely throwing them against the wall with these types of moves. But I'm getting off track here, but you know, McCutcheon, I think is a timeless one, a timeless wonder. And I think he's, I think he's going to have a really good bounce back season. He might even have his name in already for comeback player of the year. Yeah. I like that. And you know, Kutch kind of reminds me of, he kind of reminds me of the hitting version of AJ Burnett when he came to Pittsburgh, obviously yeah. circumstances are a little different in that Kutch is coming back to Pittsburgh after being here for a while earlier in his career, but AJ Burnett immediately when he was with the pirates, he embraced this city and he just, he made it his sole mission to give the pirates an attitude, just the swagger that they needed to be successful in 2012. And obviously in 2012, they didn't, um, they didn't win. They didn't get above 500, but it set up the, the groundwork for future success in future seasons. Burnett in 2012, that was his age 35 season. He was a three and a half F war pitcher that year with the Pirates. And that was a year after a, f- a few years of not great seasons with the Yankees. So he was rejuvenated with the Pirates, was great in 2013 as well, age 36 season. Obviously, two totally different situations, two different positions. Kutch is a position player, AJ Burnett is a pitcher but 
I think this season with the Pirates, Touch has been kind of floating around as like a one-win player since leaving Pittsburgh. But now that he's back, I think I think he's 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 really gonna break out in a way and he could be a, a three war type guy, a four war type guy. Cause he still had, he still got it. He really does. He's still fast. He's still able to run. And if the Pirates are able to manage his playing time in a way that he doesn't burn out too quickly, maybe he is in the starting lineup five nights a week and plays right field two to three nights a week while DHing on the other nights. I really believe I, I mean, maybe this is my Pittsburgh Ginzer in me, but I really believe touch still has the eye. He still has the bat speed watching him with the pirates over these past, you know, week and a half to start the season. I'm a believer. And I think he's going to have a, a really nice season with the pirates. Yeah. And I think the best thing out of all of this is he's got that eye when he's in the box, you know, for a veteran, you just think you're going to go up there swinging or like he's lost some touch, but I mean, his plate discipline is something else. I mean, he's worked how many walks up to this point so far, seven walks, in eight games. And that's fantastic. He started the year with five and I think three games, which for somebody who you wouldn't, you would think is trying to make an immediate impact. They would go up there swinging, but now he's just playing smart baseball and you can't take that out of a player. And um, it's good to see that he's doing that fun fact. He's actually 10 walks away from a thousand. So, or from a thousand in his career. So I don't know if that means anything, but I think it just goes to show the type of player that Andrew McCutcheon is again, not trying to do too much. He's just trying to do his part and bringing home wins. Yeah, for sure. And this offense just, it looks nice. It's a real lineup for the first time in the Ben Sherrington era. I know I keep saying that, but it's its a real legitimate lineup. You have Reynolds at the top. You did have Cruz at the top, but you have Reynolds at the top. You have McCutcheon and you have Carlos Santana, who's been starting to figure it out in the middle. They bridge the lineup. And in past years, you would get, you would have guys like Rodolfo Castro or Jack Sawinski or Kanan Smith and Jigba even. They would be your four or five hitters. And now, with the length of this lineup, they're able to hit sixth, seventh, eighth, and kind of be tough at bats towards the end. Um, obviously, hopefully, Cabrian Hayes figures it out. I think he's close. He's starting to hit fly balls. Um We'll see with him, but I just overall this lineup is just longer, it's deeper, and hopefully, hopefully someone's able to step in for Cruz and kind of set the table like he was able to do before getting hurt. But I I really do like this offense. I do too, with one exception. Well, no, I would have had two exceptions if Austin Hedges didn't get hurt, but now it's down to one. G Man Choi. The dude is playing like crap. He is. Like sucks. For a guy who did seemingly okay in Tampa Bay, he is just not it right now. Like I if you would have asked me before the season started to rank one through I guess three in terms of veteran presence, who you know, from with one being the best, three being the worst, how would I rank them? Choi would have been my number one. I yeah. would have thought that would have been him, Kutch. Then Santana, I thought Santana was going to be the one striking out a ton, but no, it's G-Man Choi. He is, he's just awful. He's one for 19. Uh, he has struck out eight times, hasn't worked one walk. Like, what is going on with this dude? Is he, like, 
I have no, I have no answers. I'm speechless. Like I thought we would have seen slightly better production from him, but I mean, I'll, I'll admit he's been the victim of some pretty awful officiating, but that doesn't excuse the fact that he is just not doing anything at the plate at this point. And it sucks. Cause we see him hit like third, fourth, sometimes even fifth. And I'm like, why are we playing him? I'd rather see Carlos Santana play first, Andrew McCutcheon, DH, and Connor Joe play right because they're at least consistently producing on offense. G-Man Choi just sucks. And I, I hate saying that, but I, I, I'm baffled at how badly he's doing. Yeah, I agree. One for 19 is just absolute. Like, that's tough. Eight strikeouts is tough. I will say maybe this is just eye test he's gotten robbed on a few hard line outs but even if you included those he'd be like three or four for 19 but i'm not ready to pull the plug yet just like i'm not ready to pull the plug on say rodolfo castro or obviously cabrian hayes can't cabrian hayes's plug is firmly cemented into the wall that can't be pulled but and also he's great defensively so that goes without being said but yeah, some of these hitters, they've just gotten off to really tough starts. Jack Sawinski as well. Um, but I guess it just it just goes to show it's tough whenever it's tough how this Pirates um kind of position player roster is built because there's eight spots, well, nine spots, including the DH, but there's like 13 mouths to be fed. There's 13 guys that are trying to get everyday at bats and it's it's tough to spread those at bats around. You look at it right now, the Pirates have 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11. They have 12 guys with more than 10 at bats. And Connor Joe is he only has 14. And he's hitting 500, so maybe we'll see some more Joe. Maybe we'll see this kind of level out and the the players that are performing start to get more playing time but yeah with Choi it's been really tough and I I hope he's able to figure it out because defensively he's nice at first and in the past I mean last season with Tampa Bay he was a 116 WRC plus the season before 117 WRC plus He's been an above average hitter his whole career. And he's been a guy that he's not going to hit a ton of home runs, but at least double digits. 2019, he hit 19 home runs. Obviously, that's five years ago, but I don't know. I'm not ready to give up yet. But yeah, you look at it 0% walk, 43% strikeout rate. That was before today's game. It's been tough. It really has been. I hope he figures it out. But I guess my question is to, my question to you is how long is that leash for Troy for you? I mean, I think it's 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 not it's not too short. I mean, they wouldn't have brought him in if they didn't think that he could be some benefit to the team. And I'm trying to pull up his numbers from last year, you know, when he just during the regular season, trying to see how he progressed, not finding it at the moment, but still the fact of the matter is. I, I think they're not going to give up on him too quickly. I think they're just going to give him an opportunity to sort of work out this rust. And I mean, if he's still striking out heavily, he's now producing offensively by, I would say like end of June, maybe I, I you got to think that they, maybe they maybe they maybe would yank that leash a little bit, maybe either DFAM or something. I, I don't know. It's, 
it's tough to say because normally when you bring somebody in, they produce, but for Choi, I think he's got a long leash, but it's not terribly long. If that makes sense. Like I said, I'm, I'm standing firm on my guess that by end of June, if he's not doing anything, then I think they're going to try to get somebody else in there. It's tough to say who, because our first base depth absolutely sucks in the minor leagues, but you gotta, you gotta put out the best players. And right now G man is not doing that. Hopefully, like you said, he gets better. And I'm hoping this is just some early season rust, but you never know. You know, it's hilarious. I, I pulled up his game log from last season with the Rays first eight games, 19 at bats, 26 plate appearances. He had 10 hits, two homers hit 526 slugged a thousand. So just total opposite of what we've gotten from Troy to start the year this season, but I, I, it will balance out. He's a professional. He's not Yoshi Tutsugo. He's not, he is, he is a, he is a proven major league hitter uh, over many years. So he's going to be fine. Um, It, it sucks right now. It's, it's rough to watch right now, but like you said, he's had some calls go against him. He's had some tough luck with batted balls. So, We'll see what happens. Let's switch things over to the pitching a little bit here, Jake. And it's been kind of up and down, I guess you could say. Mitch Keller, great. Rowanzi Contreras in his one start, awesome. Johan Oviedo, let's start with him today, Sunday. Six and two-thirds innings of shutout ball. He he looked awesome. He looked really great. He looked under control. He was throwing strikes. He had multiple breaking pitches working. He had like the sweeper and then more of a harder slider. His fastball was touching 98 at the top of the zone. Yohan Oviedo, I was very worried about this starting rotation with not with Keller and Contreras, but with the trio of Richel, Vince Velasquez, and Johan Oviedo. I was very worried. I'm a little less worried today because Johan Oviedo just straight up shoved. Yeah, he did, and especially after a game where our bullpen took a little bit of a hit with our significant pitchers, we needed him to step up, and that's exactly what he did. His slider was working to perfection. I saw a lot of whiffs. There's a lot of things that were great. You mentioned his fastball got up to 98, which I don't, I don't think we saw that yet with him in the Pirates, but either way, that's just great to see. Uh, went six and two-thirds, which is great. He held Tim Anderson, who has had a fantastic series, over for 4 today. Uh, really the only damage that he had was Gavin Sheets who went three for four, but um, you're going to get that. I'd rather see one person excelling and the rest of them not. And I mean, he did pretty well. The first four hitters, they went a combined zero for six or one for 16, which I'll take that from a young starter. And like you said, I was kind of worried about it too. Like not as worried with compared to rich and Vince, but you know, there's, there's some uncertainty there because he's not proven yet, but that has sort of eased my anxiety today with just how he's just how he shoved, as you said. Um, hopefully that's just a sign of what's to come. And that Boston game that he started was just a fluke. Um, but I was really impressed with how he did it. I, I loved his execution of pitches. He just went right after the Chicago hitters. He didn't try to dance around them too, too much. He just went out there and did what he could. And that's all we can really ask for of him right now. And you love to see it, but huh, with the good, there is the bad and we saw a lot of bad pitching this weekend from the pirate starters rich and vince oh my god who do you want to start with rich or vince let's go let's go vince because i think that's kind of more cut and dry okay 
we knew the dude was going to be crap, and he is. Like, <laughs> I'm watching yesterday. I was watching yesterday's game. The first inning, I'm like, okay, this might be a decent start. Second inning, ran into a little trouble. I'm like, okay, not too bad. Third inning comes, and he just unwinds. I don't care whether it was injury-related or not. Vince Velasquez is not a good multi-inning guy. He can pitch one solid inning. He's more of a bullpen piece, and I see a lot of people saying that now. Yeah. And I agree with them. I think Vince would benefit more from like a middle relief role. And but he's not a starter. And we saw that yesterday. Chicago just attacked him. And I mean, he, he there were a lot of hanging pitches that probably should have been crushed and they weren't. Um, and we saw that in his first start too. So, but again, we expected this. With Rich Hill, I don't know. I think it's just age. Like I thought he was going to be a lot better than this, but man, when you serve up less than 80 mile per hour, meatballs, hanging <laughs> curveballs, and you got guys like Luis Robert just absolutely crushing him into the bullpens. No doubters. You got to step back and just wonder what, what is going on with him? Um, ben Charrington said on his radio show today, like he understands where he's at and he's got to improve, but like back to back starts with this kind of production. That's kind of scary to me. I, I'm only speaking on myself. I can only imagine how you felt in those stands on Friday watching him pitch and like just the anxiety growing and growing throughout the game. I bet that was, that was hard to contain. Yeah. It sucked whenever the pirates got out to a seven to five lead and then Rich Hill walked out and immediately handed it right back for them to tie it at seven. But I'll say this. I agree with you in all of Pirates fandom slash Twitter slash whatever. Vince Velasquez, if you put him in the Chase the Young role, I'm kind of happy. Or, heck, let those two kind of battle it out for the long reliever role. That would be great in a perfect world. You bring up Luis Ortiz hopefully soon. I hope he's ready soon. I hope he doesn't have his service time manipulated too, too much, and he's able to come up maybe within a few weeks, maybe a month, hopefully not June. But if you insert Ortiz into the Velasquez spot, I'm uh I'm all right. I'm not here's here's a hot take for you. I'm not worried about Rich Hill yet. I'm not. Because you're not obviously, yes, he's been he's given up five home runs in nine innings and eleven hits, and his ERA is at ten. And <laughs> With him, it's not about strength. It's not about overpowering guys, obviously. It's just all about feel for the curveball. And it might take him a few starts to to refine that. And once he's able to, though, once he's able to locate that curveball, get the feel for it, and find it, he's going to be fine. He's he's throwing the ball like 84 miles an hour. His fastball's sitting at like 85, 86. We know it's a joke, but the curveball is the key pitch. And that's the thing that I've seen over these first two starts. He kind of found it in the first start against the Reds. It was just too late after he gave up a nuke to Kevin Newman. Rich Hill's first inning against the Reds, he gave up those two home runs. Against the White Sox, yeah, he was awful. But both those curveballs to Luis Robert, they were they were meaty juice balls that a guy like him is going to hit 9,000 feet every time. Rich Hill, he just needs to find the feel for the curveball. That's what a curveball is all about. And once he does, 
Once he was able to locate that at the knees, below the knees, inside, outside, wherever he wants, then he'll be able to switch up the arm angles. Then he'll be able to sneak that 84 pass guys, and we're going to get the fun Rich Hill. We are. He's going to be fine. I'm not ready to give up on Rich Hill yet. It's probably going to take me like another five starts like he had against to, against the White Sox to finally admit that he's absolutely washed. But the dude knows how to pitch. He just has to find it. He's searching. He's searching for the curveball, just like Cabrian Hayes is searching for the barrel of the bat. Some of these guys, it takes a while, and uh, I'm not ready to sell my Rich Hill stock yet. That's a good comparison with Key because I, I'm kind of like that too. Like you don't want to give up hope, but at the same time, like you're just like, why can't you go out there and just, just produce? Like that's that's pretty much my thing with Rich. Can you just because, be I mean, good? Just please be good. Quit sucking. Like it's like that <laughs> old comment you would see in like an Xbox chat room is like get good scrub, and that's just kind of like what I'm what I'm where I'm at right now, but. Like you, we know Hill has he has his stuff, and his bread and butter is the off-speed curveball. And like you, like what you said, he he needs to feel it out. And I know two starts into the season, he's not going to get that good feel of it. But I hope he gets it soon because we need him to start producing and not giving up all these nukes in the first couple of innings of every start because he he can't leave it up to his to his offense to pick up the pieces every time. But yeah, I'm like you, I'm not ready to write him off yet. I just, I want to see some improvement. I don't want to keep seeing these starts where we're just out of the game entirely because he can't execute his, he can't get enough control of his curveball. That's just all I'm asking from him. Yeah. And we'll see Rich Hill next on Wednesday against Houston. So let's, Let's talk about this Houston series a little bit. I'm looking at the pitching matchups right now, and this will be a huge test for the Pirates to see if they're anything resembling, I don't want to say contender, but a non-bottom-of-the-barrel baseball team. Tomorrow night, today when you're listening to this, Monday, it's Rowanzi Contreras, and he is going to oppose Framber. Valdez that is a tough matchup Valdez in two starts this year has only given up two runs he has 13 strikeouts he has a disgusting curveball left-hander so we're gonna get our wish we're gonna see Connor Joe tomorrow I guarantee you that and uh, we'll see if the Pirates can do anything against the lefty in the Monday game in the Tuesday game it's Keller day but another tough pitching matchup Christian Javier starts for the Astros and like Valdez, super nasty, hasn't been quite as good as Valdez in the first two starts, but 11 strikeouts in 11 innings, only one walk. He's given up four runs. He is nasty. So it's kind of, that'll be kind of fun. The Pirates top two guns against the Astros top two guns. That'll be a nice test to see where the Pirates stand in terms of the uh, strength of their team, I guess you could say. And in the Wednesday game, Rich Hill, as I as I noted uh, a second ago, has been terrible. He will be opposing Jose Urquidy. I think I'm saying that right. Probably not. But for the Astros, he's been 
He's been all right. Nine innings pitched so far, 11 strikeouts. He's given up four earned as well. The Astros have gotten off to a fairly tough start. They're four and six. As we know, the Pirates are six and three. So, Jake, the floor is yours. Do the Pirates have any chance? Actually, let me say this. In podcasts past, we would begin the question of, do the Pirates have any chance to win any of these games at all? Or should we just mark it up as a sweep now? And I'm not going to ask that. I'm going to say, how many games can the Pirates win in this series? What do you think? Hmm. Well, I mean, with O'Neill Cruz in the lineup, you probably have me at two games, probably. I don't think we're going to get a sweep, but now that he's gone, I I, I think we're going to come away with at least one. I don't think it's going to be – it's not going to be like a, a washout series, like we're just going to get absolutely obliterated. But um, – I, I do think we're going to keep it interesting, but I don't see us winning more than just one game this series, especially if we're going up against quality pitchers like Valdez tomorrow, which that's going to be, that's going to be fun to watch him and Contreras duke it out. Yeah. Um, maybe Mitch Keller too, but Keller's got to be on point. He can't bring his opening day stuff in. He's got to be like he was against Boston, which he's got the momentum on his side. So maybe he could be like that. Um Fortunately for the Pirates, the series is at PNC Park, so they'll at least have some home support. It, it won't be a hostile environment that they're walking into, but I don't know. And then part of me, see, I'm like very indecisive about this series because I'm looking at the uh, Houston Astros schedule and how they started off the year. They lost two of three to the Detroit Tigers. They lost three of four to the Chicago White Sox to start. The, oh, no, no, they lost two of four. My bad. Uh, but either way, losing two of four and splitting the four-game set against the Chicago White Sox, not something to be proud of. And then the Minnesota Twins, they had trouble with them. I want to have more hope, but I just can't, considering this O'Neill Cruz injury. Um, it'll be a tough series. I think we're going to stay with the Astros, but ultimately I think that we're only going to come away with just one. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be very happy if they win one game, to be honest. Um I will say though, let's see, I'm pulling it up. My guy, my guy, Rich Hill, he only pitched once against the Astros last season, and it was a start. And he gave up four earned runs in three innings. So we'll see what happens with our old pal, Rich Hill. I don't know. I, I have a funny feeling that he's going to turn it on soon. I'm, I'm never. Until he's DFA'd, until he's released, I'm never going to give a hope on Rich Hill just just because he's just fun. He's just a fun pitcher. I love a, a soft-tossing lefty that can just carve guys up with soft stuff. I respect that so much, so I'm hoping he can get things together against the Astros. But, yeah, I think I think one win. If they win one, I'll be happy. If they win two, I'll be ecstatic. Um, but one would be nice. I will say though, against the lefty tomorrow, it'll be nice to have the the righty lineup. That's kind of fun. You have you'll have Kutch in the lineup, you'll have Santana in the lineup, you'll have Hayes, you'll have Castro probably, you'll definitely have Connor Joe, obviously Reynolds, probably Jason Delay. Um, we'll see who they call up, but we'll see what the Pirates can do against Framber Valdez. One win would be cool, but yeah, you 
you kind of noted that the Astros have been struggling a little bit to start the season, which kind of worries me more than if they were lighting it up because they are pretty due. But we'll see what happens. That's why they play the games. And after the Astros series, the Pirates have another test. They will be at St. Louis for four. But then after that, the schedule kind of gets a little easier for seven. They're at the Rockies for three, and they host the Reds for four. So that's the schedule ahead. Jake, before we sign off here, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Not particularly. I just want to comment and say I'm really impressed with this Pirates team. Just, again, like you said at the beginning of the episode, if you would have told me before the season that we would have started 6-3 and against all these teams, I would have laughed in your face. But this is good to see. This is this is the improvement that we want to see. I just hope it's sustainable throughout the year. Yeah, it's just good vibes. Like it just sucks. It sucks about Cruz. And we can end the podcast on this nice Andrew McCutcheon tweet from 22 minutes ago here Sunday night at 9:04 p.m. Sucks for my guy Cruz. Dude is an absolute beast. Hate to see anyone go down with an injury, but especially your own. Tough blow for everybody on this side, but we got a good group of guys here. Heal up, Lil slash Big Bro. Praying hands emoji. So, pour one out for O'Neal Cruz. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Best case scenario, the Pirates are hanging around 500, and it's July, and Cruz comes back. And maybe at that point, we'll have to do another blackout at PNC Park because... We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, Jake, uh, if you want to give us your Twitter before we get out of here. Sure. You can follow me at underscore Radio Jake. And you can follow me at Nathan underscore Hirsch. And, of course, follow Talk the Plank at Talk the Plank Pod. We'll have this podcast out. We'll have our Bucks of Joe dropping every day, Monday through Friday. We will have Haley Ryan's Minor League Madness on Thursdays. And Jake and I will be back Friday with another fresh pod. Hopefully the Pirates are uh, keeping it going here. All right, Jake, it's been a pleasure. And everyone listening, thank you as always. It's been a pleasure as well. Peace out. See ya.